Hey guys, this is Turner. Listen, we have a special episode today, and I need to make an announcement before we jump into it. I had to go and pull this after it was initially posted, uh, and once I pulled it, I had to do some editing. There were some names that were used that uh, were not given permission by um, our guest to speak about, and uh, the nature of this uh, podcast and the topic that we're dealing with is sensitive with a lot of uh, sensitive issues and topics that are painful uh, for some people. And so I felt it best to pull the podcast, do some editing to bleep out the names uh, that were mentioned uh, for the privacy of those people uh, at their request. So if it seems a little different, um, then that would be the reason why. And uh, so uh, anyways, um, I will jump back into it. You can enjoy the podcast and as always, be blessed. Hey, Warriors. This Father's Day, we're teaming up with our friends over at Tricomb to bring you great savings on great gifts for that great patriarch in your life. You can get 20% off your entire order at Tricomb's shop by using code AOW20 at checkout. And guess what? Their Father's Day gift sets are already on sale. Get your dad one of Tricomb's awesome retro trucker hats, one of their natural charcoal deodorants, and a bar of charcoal peppermint goat milk soap already priced at 10% off each item. Use code AOW20 and you can get this set for an additional 20% off the sale price, or just get him something else entirely, however you decide to honor your father. Just remember to use code AOW20 at checkout to get 20% off your entire order. Visit trichomeco.com and click shop now to get started. Happy Father's Day from Rachel, Rosie, and Turner. And as always, thanks for listening. I don't know. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner. And I'm in the studio with Rosie. Hey. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up? And you can hear Rachel and her beautiful children in the background. What's up, Hello. Rach? <laughs> Hi, it's me. <laughs> and my kids. <laughs> they got a permanent spot on the podcast, it feels like. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they do. I know. They're always quoting you, too. <laughs> oh, great. You and your sound bits. They, they love to quote your little sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get some new ones. Good thing they're not in public school because I could get in trouble for some of them. <laughs> I had one for you, Rosie, that I found the other day. I forgot about it. Oh. It's Trump, and uh, and he says, uh, he says, I don't like you, Rosie. And uh, it's from when he didn't like Rosie. Uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell. They called her like fat and ugly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was funny. I, I was gonna isolate it and put it on a on a button for you. But... Yeah, I mean, he's applicable both cases. Yeah. <laughs> I think he would like you. I think so. Yeah. So, anyway, so what do you know, man? Oh, hey. Did you know that the Queen Isabella of Spain actually had a huge impact on the chess piece of the Queen? Really? Yeah. And because of her, um, like the whole game of chess changed. All right. Yeah. How about I'll just read this? Um so it says, in 1475, just 17 years prior to the discovery of America, the newest piece in the game, the, ch the chess queen was introduced. Um, Isabella, queen of Castile, the monarch who unified Spain and sent Christopher Columbus to discover America, was also the inspiration of the figure of the queen in modern chess. It says... The Arabs brought, uh, brought chess to Spain when they invaded it in the 8th huh. century, but it was not until the late 15th century when Queen Isabella was at the height of her powers that the chess queen becomes the most powerful piece. 
It says, originally the chess piece <laughs> that later became the queen was a much weaker figure, and it could only move two squares at a time. Later, around 1475, when Isabella was crowned queen of Castile, the figure became female, but was only able to move one square at a time like the king. And it said, in 1495, when Isabella was the most powerful woman in Europe, that the present rules of chess were established in which the queen moves in all directions across the board. Um, yeah, so basically because it said uh, the queen was more powerful than her husband, Fernand, but at the same time, the king was the most important. <laughs> so because of her, she didn't... Uh, she's basically like, why is this game as a king and queen? Right. I'm the most powerful, and my husband's like... I don't want to say he's like some schlub, like how they... Well, he kind of was to her, yeah. you know? <laughs> but, What's cool, though, is I didn't know chess came from from the Arabs. I didn't know that either, yeah. that's That makes sense because it's kind of confusing. Yeah. I never was really any good at it. You have to be really smart. That's probably the reason why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of the queen, I just got, an, I got some news for you. Did you know? Oh. Uh, do you have another one? No. Oh, okay. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced the birth of their daughter. Listen to her name. Libet Diana Mount Batten Windsor. That's really weird. Mount Batten Windsor. That's her middle name. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They're gonna call her Lily, I guess. Yeah. So there's some more royal news for you, like it matters. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All right. Hey man, we have a really cool podcast yes. tonight. We have uh so the the topic we're going to be discussing is really it's it's a testimony of a survivor from someone who was a part of a really what was a cult and uh you know I would label it a cult right now absolutely I don't know if it necessarily started that way but um this this testimony that we're going to have from our guest Michelle is is pretty powerful and um so if you know someone that's in a in a church that sounds like what she's going to describe um, you definitely need to take some actions to warn that person and um, try and help them to get set free. But uh, anyways, we're going to invite our guest here in just a second, but I want everyone to just sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. That's right. We're back, finally, after a few weeks off. What a nice, uh, relaxing uh, time we had there. <laughs> I know that uh, people start to send us, you know, I know it's been a while when uh, people start to send us messages on Instagram and stuff like, hey, you guys all right? You, you going <laughs> to do another one? Yeah. So it's just been, life's been crazy. We had COVID at our house with my son. He's on the latter stages of recovery now. He's, but he's healed. I mean, he's completely healed. It, but uh, we had a little touch and go scare there. He has asthma. He was in the emergency room one night, but um, it's all good now. And um, yeah, other than that, then the, the cicadas, man, we went to a drive-in last night hmm. and uh, there was cicadas everywhere, man. <laughs> we saw Quiet Place 2, which was... Uh, the, that new it's yeah. the sequel to the, the movie the quiet place so uh pretty cool anyways so i want to invite i want to introduce our guest michelle freeman michelle how are you welcome to the podcast hey thanks for having me i'm doing well tonight well we're so glad that you 
are going to join and share your testimony. I was thinking a lot about it today. Just uh, I was painting my house, and I had a lot of time to just think while I was working. And and while I was you know painting and, and just thinking and stuff, I I was thinking about how uh, difficult some of this story must be for you to share. And so I just want to say thank you because I know yes. that uh, when you start to you know jog down memory lane and they're not so great memories, it can be challenging. But um, just the conversations you and I have had leading up to this tonight, um, you're very sure and very you have uh, a very resolved uh, heart about things. And I just really appreciate that about you. But I just wanted to welcome you. So let me ask you a question. It, let's start kind of like to give a background for people, um, kind of how you ended up in the church called Calvary Temple and and a little bit of your background so that when you begin to tell your story it'll connect better with those that that, that aren't familiar with that church or with with you personally yeah sure i um you know raised in a methodist church and moved to in western pennsylvania actually um johnstown the home of the great flood the great johnstown flood i don't know if y'all are familiar with that but mm. moved to northern virginia um literally the night i graduated from high school <laughs> and um, started working on the Postal Service, um, but I raised them at this church, I stayed that because that's where I was born again, that then, kind of like a typical high schooler, young adult, I did fall away from the Lord, and then I started working with the Postal Service, met my husband, um, got married, started having kids, and um, I wanted them to know about Jesus, and so with that, um, I was working in the training room of the Postal Service. And if, and if I'm not making sense, let me know, because it kind of gets all jumbled together maybe. So <laughs> if I'm not tracking correctly, let me know. Sure. But um, I was working in the training room of the Postal Service, and um, a guy who had done uh, my pre-dexterity my pre training for the Postal Service, she had to past learning the keyboard before you could be hired. And this same guy who had done this pre-dexterity training was in the training room, and his name was Bruce Dinsey, I'll just say it. And um, he would party with all of us and everything like that. Well, in the training room, I started to know a difference. I noticed a difference in him. Like, he wasn't partying, he was calmer, you know, there was a peace about him, and he started to talk to me about Jesus. And, um, it took a while, but um, I could tell that, you know, I wanted my kids to know about Jesus, and I knew that I wasn't right with the Lord, and he had kind of said, well, you know, he gave me tapes, teaching tapes, and he gave me teaching tapes to listen, because we lived like an hour from work, Dale and I, so he gave me teaching tapes, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth um, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, and, yeah. and Bob Scott, Star Scott from Calvary Temple. And um, I literally, no kidding, I said, Star Scott, what kind of name is that? You know, <laughs> is that a cult, Calvary Temple? Like, what is that? I literally said and thought those things. But um, I listened to the other two teachers in the car, and I ran out of them, and then one morning I put a Bob Scott teaching in. And I, you know, I just remember that the level of 
teaching had been elevated. I mean, this guy was teaching from the Word of God and, you know, growing up in the Methodist Church, and this is no derogatory thing about the Methodist Church, but, you know, I knew about Jesus and I knew about the Word of God, but, and it was funny because in court, you know, in Cornerstone this morning, um, our ta- what is his name? Our, ta- our taxes, Eric, our taxes, I think, he wrote Bonhoeffer and mm-hmm. um, uh, Wilberforce. He wrote those biographies. And um, he said this, and he said this morning, which really resonated with me because no one really kind of gets it. He said, you know, you kind of get, you know, a surface teaching because he was Greek Orthodox. And he said, you kind of get a surface thing, but you don't know that you have to have like this in, you know, you can have this in-depth relationship with Jesus. And that's kind of like my childhood. So what Calvary Temple presented to me that really resonated with me was it seemed like here was a person that seemed to be delving into the deeper relationship with the Lord. Hmm. So because we lived out in Fauquier County, Bruce said, you know, just go to any church. I don't have to come to Calvary Temple, just go to any church. And I said, okay, by Easter I'll be in church. So we lived in Midland, which was right across this little Episcopalian church in Casanova, Virginia. And I don't know if you know where that is, but, you know, it's out in the country. It's right by Warrington, Virginia. Mm, Yeah. And my ex-husband was raised Catholic. I was raised Methodist. I knew he wouldn't go to a Methodist church. I I knew I wouldn't go to a Catholic church. So we compromised and walked into the Episcopal church. And it it was like I had walked right back into... Jesus's arms. Mm. I mean, I cried the whole service. I, I don't remember anything about it. And so that's when I rededicated my life to the Lord. And so for a year, um, Bruce would just give me all these teaching tapes and we were working together in the training room. And, um, eventually, um, I guess it was 1995 that I stood in the parking lot of the postal service and I told my then husband Dale that I wanted three things. This was, I, it was probably May because I'd gone to Calvary Temple one time and decided that's where I wanted to go. To graduate. And that was important for my ex. I have the kids in the private school system. And some people get offended when I say that. Um, but, you know, as you can see, the state of the public school systems now, you know, 34 years ago, that was, that was, that was maybe a harbinger of things to come. I don't know. That, <laughs> right. um, so I stood in the parking lot and said, I wanted three things. I want to go to Calvary Temple Church. I wanted my kids to go to Calvary Temple School. And I wanted to move from Fauquier County to Lamb County to Sterling, Virginia, so I could go to Calvary Temple. And by September, all three things had happened. So that's. That's kind of how it all started out. Um, Calvary Temple has um, still has three services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And um, it's pretty mandatory. You know, they they don't, they don't, because it's an authoritative cult, it's, it's authoritarian because it's manipulative and authoritarian. They don't, tell you that you have to go to every service, but there are consequences if you don't. So, and at first, you know, they'd love bomb you when you go there. Everybody's very nice. You know, everybody's very nice. Yeah. Um, 
So you, you jump in with both feet, your kids are involved in the school, you know, they have to play basketball or they have to be involved in cheerleading. So let me um, ask you a question. If, if I can jump in here. Yeah. Um, so yeah. when you started attending Calvary temple, you were still a fairly young believer then in your faith is in terms of really deciding to walk in, in your faith. For all intents and purposes, I would say yes. Yeah. So was and very naive. So um, when you got there and you realized that there was multiple services a week that you were expected to be at, did that give you a red flag or was it anything like at first where you were, or are you just super excited because it's the church you wanted to be at? Exactly that. Um, you, and again, when you, when you first join, you don't, you don't realize that that's how it is. You know, you want to be there. You're excited. You're on fire for the Lord. Everybody's so nice. You want to learn. You're hungry to learn about Jesus. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be there. Um, I, I like the praise and worship. There was prayer. There's, there's 30 minute prayer time where you go in and everybody has to be quiet. You can't like, there's no talking or anything like that. And then there was the praise and worship. Bob Scott would get up and he would talk for at least an hour, if not more. And um, you learn pretty quickly that they want you to take notes. You know, you have to get, you have to take, you know, really nice notes because they're, they have home groups where, um, you know, they put you in a group and you have a deacon and they kind of grill you on the teachings. You know, it's not grill you. I mean, they wouldn't use that word, but you're expected to, you know, they want to make sure you understand what Bob Scott wants you to understand. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, you don't, you know, it's like the whole, that analogy that everybody always talks about with the frog in the, in the water, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't go in there expecting it to be a cult. You don't, you expect it to be a church. You go in there expecting to learn about Jesus. You don't go in there expecting to be manipulated and berated and talked down to and sucked into meetings and gossiped about, you don't, you know, that you don't expect that to happen. So you go in there and, and you, you want to develop friendships and you want your kids to do well in school and, you know, grow up to be healthy, you know, adults. And in the meantime, you want to fellowship and learn about Jesus. So that's what it was to me at first. I will say that, um, Dale never, he, he never went to the church, but he would go to all the school functions and he would go to all of the basketball, um, you know, anything that had to do with the school or with sports, he would go to those things, but he never went. And he went to a couple of the Christmas programs. And I, and I tell you, he never liked Bob Scott. Never, never, ever liked him. And I just figured that if I prayed enough and um, shown Jesus, you know, if I would shine Jesus enough to Dale that he would be born again and come to Calvary Temple. And boy, was I wrong about that. Mm really wrong about that. The exact opposite happened. And, um, so you know, a thing. Go he, ahead. He, he, so your, your husband never fully came to Christ then in your marriage or. As far as I know, he's not born again. Okay. Um, he's a good guy. You know, he's a good guy and he's a good father. And he's, he, this is what I always say. He never told me that, he didn't want us there. 
He never said, I don't want you and the boys to go there anymore. He never said those things. But I knew he didn't like Bob Scott. I knew he didn't like that. But we would vacation with people in the church. Um, We would, you know, go to picnics. We would, quote, unquote, fellowship. You know, he and my one of my best friends in the church threw me a surprise birthday party. I mean, he was, he was very involved where that is concerned, but he did not like, you know, he didn't like the charismatic portion of it. Being raised Catholic, he was very uncomfortable with speaking in tongues, you know, raising your hands and praising Jesus. He was very uncomfortable with all. He, he allowed us to do it all. But it now Calvary Temple has you know, there were, it, it has its roots in Assemblies of God, right? Yes, okay. yeah. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna divert here for a second, um, and then I want you to get back to your to your testimony. But so when you guys were starting to attend there, and you moved from Falkir all the way out to to Sterling, which isn't you know, for our listeners that don't uh, don't know, it's probably about 45 minutes to an hour away. It's not, it's not yeah. real close. It's a, it's a little bit of a hike. Um, so you took a pretty significant life change to relocate your family. And you did all of that because of the church, right? Not because of a job opportunity or anything else. It was purely for, for t- to be at Calvary Temple. Correct. Okay. Wow. Wow. So yeah. did you, you, when your husband and you would talk about the things that he didn't like, what were some of the things that he was saying, why he didn't like, you know, star Scott? (laughs) Well, he, um, he, he, he questioned the finish the race ministry. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that, but Bob Scott, um, has very fancy cars. (laughs) So he questioned, um, his lifestyle. He questioned how lavish he was. Um, he questioned, um, he, he felt he was arrogant. Um, he, he couldn't understand how all this money could go into the finish the race, the cars, the race cars that Bob Scott had and would, you know, he used them. Bob Scott said they were a ministry. They would go up to Carlisle PA and they would, you know, show these cars and, and he used them as a quote unquote ministry, but that's a lot of money. And he, you know, it all came from us. Yeah. You know, we, it all came from the people that attended. So, um, he didn't like any, he just didn't like him. He, he just had a, I guess he had a feeling. He just didn't like him. Mm-hmm. didn't like him at all. Okay. So you said, didn't like to hear his voice, <laughs> didn't like to see his face, didn't like him. Yeah. Did you said that Star Scott had a, a, a car ministry, he called it. And so how many cars did he have? for this quote unquote ministry. So he had um he had a he had a Corvette that he showed. He had a um oh my gosh, what is it? The um it is a car that my husband actually admired. Um it's an English car uh, a Cobra. Okay. Bob oh, Scott wow. had a Cobra. Um <laughs> and then he has two roadsters. If you ever go if you ever went on to the Calvary Temple website, they have a ministry called Finish the Race. So they have these roadsters. And so, you know, where, the, where you're, it's like a drag racing type thing where, yeah. you know, the, the countdown and then you take off. And yeah. and his, so 
very expensive cars. Um, so you had four or five of these expensive cars. Uh, right, plus his personal cars. They were always Mercedes. He bought Alex Alex Ovechkin's um, Cayenne, Porsche Cayenne. Um, <laughs> he's had Maseratis. He's had Ferraris. Wow. Um, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, gold and jewelry and just Did you ever very, see his house? Yeah, he lived, um, of course, paid for by off the backs of Calvary Templeites. But, yeah, he lives in a single-family home in Countryside and, uh, you know, pool in the background, in the backyard. And his daughter and son-in-law live in a paid-for house right beside. He's a youth pastor at Calvary, and she's very much, um, very, very much a dripping loud woman. Mm-hmm. Very, um, very lascivious, very, um, very loud. Yeah. And um, all of the pastor's homes there are um, very, well, there was one point where they all sold their homes to Calvary Temple for like a, a dollar. So they owned, Calvary Temple owned all of the wow. pastor's homes. And then, you know, he has a place in Tahoe. <laughs> um, he's got a place in, what is it, um, in they go to Florida at least twice a year to Disneyland. They've yeah. got um, a place. What is that place like? Oh gosh, they have one in Myrtle Beach too. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a paradise resort, yeah. you know, with the like lazy. Like a yeah. Kind of like that. Um, yeah, he's worth millions. Plus, that where Calvary Temple sits, um, that is on it. It's on, I believe, I want to say it's 33 acres. It's worth millions of dollars. Just yeah. the, that property right there in Sterling, it's yeah. worth millions. Yeah. yeah, right in the middle of Loudoun County. It's yeah. just, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he has homes and so, he has multiple high-end cars. He has uh, homes in Tahoe, Myrtle Beach, Florida, and then and and to live in Loudoun County. I know, I know, you know, living in Loudoun County and being here for 20 years, I know what it is. It, it costs to be mm-hmm. here, and so, you know, we, it's it's a high end county. It's one of the highest um, cost of living and highest income per capita uh, counties, and it has been for years in the country. It's the highest in the nation. Yeah, it's right the now. highest in the nation. Yeah. Yeah. So that the housing situation doesn't surprise me a little bit, but but to have four or five houses mm-hmm. and multiple cars and all that now. Let's let's talk a little bit more about your story about your, so you're attending Calvary Temple you and your husband your husband's just kind of like letting you do it um, how old were your kids at this time Yeah well Stu was eight and Channing was five so Stuart went into second grade in the school and Channing went into kindergarten um, so um, yeah they went. They went right into the school, and I had to pick them up every day. And Dale took them, and I picked them up. And uh, and I want to say that um, we were already working um, for the postal service there, at either in Maryfield or in Dulles, mm-hmm. at the Dulles Sectional Center there. So we were already commuting in for work. Okay. So when you commute in for work, and then you come back in for church three times a week, that was a lot. Yeah. And um, yeah. 
so then we finally did move there in 95, you know, in 95, then we did move right there in Sterling. We were right there in Cascade when we moved there. But, um, so it made it from a commuting perspective, even for us for work, it made it all yeah. simpler, but yeah. you know, he wanted to be in the country and he sacrificed for us to move there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so the kids went to school so, and um, made friends. It's a small school. They don't call it a school, so we can, you know, deduct our contributions to the IRS. So they try to say it's not a school. Hmm. Um, right. <laughs> what were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was saying, what was the amount of time that you actually attended Calvary Temple? Do you know the amount of years you were there? Yeah, I was there for over 13 years. Okay. I went um, started in 1995 and, or 94 probably, and then I left in December of 2007. Okay. And, okay, so let's start talking. Do you have some questions, Rosie? No, no, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's start talking a little bit about um, when you started to key in on how unhealthy yeah. the church was. What were some of the things that that like? I know your marriage had some major issues, and then. Also, I think you mentioned to me before one of your one of your children was just really struggling to attend there. Um. Yeah, well, in in eighth grade, um, when Stuart was in eighth grade, he wanted to leave, and I talked him out of it. So, which is interesting because he wound up graduating from the school, and he was the last person to leave Calvary. But in eighth grade, he wanted to leave. I talked him out of it, and um, you know there. Because Dale didn't like Calvary, you know, and, and we had a good marriage, you know, we had a good family and the, the devotion to Calvary Temple started to really erode that because, um, I was always nervous because I, I knew Dale, Dale didn't like the place. I felt that that's where I was supposed to be, but there were, you know, the Holy Spirit, there were red flags. You know, there were things that Bob Scott would say from the pulpit, like he would make fun of people that were overweight or he, you know, you started to realize, and it, and it took years, right? Because, you know, everybody's just living their life. The kids are going to school. We're going to basketball games. We're busy. You know, Calvary Temple keeps you busy. And when you're really, 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 really busy, um, through required, you know, required, it's, let's just say, you know, it's required. You're required to go to home fellowship. You're required to go to men's breakfast. You're required to go to prayer, um, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. When the kids are in basketball, there's, you know, you're, you go to all of the games, the girls' games, the boys' games, the JV games. You know, you could be up there, you know, you work all day, and then you're there all night, and then you get up and go to work, and then you're in prayer, and then you get up and go to work, and then you're in Wednesday night service. I mean, you're busy. Mm -hmm. So when you're that busy, you don't, and, and you're happy with the fellowship with the saints. A lot of times it all gets put into this, this big pot where, you know, if there's maybe a, you know, something that maybe isn't quite so good here, you kind of push it down because this other stuff seems really good. Mm -hmm. Right. So when there are tiny little things like, well, that's not, you know, when your husband does go to these things and the pastor and his wife who know he's not saved, don't go out of their way to say anything to him. 
deacons don't do that. Other pastors don't do that. You know, it's a little, it's a little jarring, you know, don't, don't you people want him to know the Lord, you know, that kind of a thing. So there was that. Um, And then I guess the biggest kicker for me, when the Holy Spirit really started to open my eyes and it, and again, it was a process because um, Bob Scott was married to Janet Scott and they were married for over 30 years and she had cancer. She had a colostomy bag. She wasn't a healthy woman. I mean, and she finally succumbed to the cancer and three weeks later, it was probably a little more than two weeks after she died, he stood up in the pulpit, called himself the high, and, and I, he took this teaching off of his website, but I have this, I downloaded it, I have it printed out, and I have it, but he mm. claimed himself the high priest, oh. high priest, he was the high priest, right, and that he he's not allowed to mourn as the high priest, and he's to take a virgin, and three weeks later, he married a 19-year-old girl, and he was 55 years old. What? 55, marries a 19-year-old. Now, did this girl go yeah. along with that, or how did that work out? Okay, well, that's, that's you know, that's a story in and of itself, because, um, you know, Greer was born, she, she and her dad came there, um, through the door-to-door ministry. I think they were the only two people in the door-to-door ministry that we had to do that ever came to Calvary Temple. So she came as a young girl. So she graduated from the school. Um, her mother and father were divorced. Her Actually, her mother actually came to Calvary, and they're remarried. But um, other women in the church, like, bought their first bra for her. You know, things like that. Like, mm. she grew up wow. in Calvary Temple. Um, and he, she did not want to marry him at first. She did not want to, but, um, she says that, um, the Lord moved her heart to fall in love with him, but, um, she did not want to marry him, but she did. And now she's just like him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, and she's harsh and yeah, that's a huge, and that's another thing, difference. you know, a huge age difference. And, and, you know, this is something that, um, I say often and that because, of we know about Bob Scott and his pension for little girls mm-hmm. that, um, Greer was tiny you know, tiny, skinny little girl, even at 19. And um, she had short hair. So, you know, she was like a perpetual child. So he married a child. Mm. Well, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of disgusting to say that, but that's how I, that's how I see it. Yeah. And I was going to say that the, the, like, it almost seems like she was groomed uh, yeah. from the start. She was groomed. Yeah. Like, because yeah. she, you know, that's, Wow. Now you absolutely. You, you shared with me that there was um, uh, somebody that was arrested that was in the leadership of the church because of uh, of a, a crime against a minor. Right, right. That was all in the the news here in Loudoun County. Um, Kevin O'Connor, he was a deacon. He's not anymore. 
um, he he molested um, several counts of molestation sodomy to his uh, 13-year-old niece. It was it was the daughter of his wife's sister who was in jail, and um, Chastity and her younger brother Tyler lived with Kevin and Chris, Kevin O'Connor and Chris O'Connor, his wife, and um, charges were, she filed a complaint, but um, Kevin Robinette, who was, I guess he's still involved with Sodom County Sheriff's Office, goes to that church, that cult, and um, they filed they filed a complaint, but nothing ever came of it. And mm. Chast- when all the articles came out in the Loudon Times Mirror when we were protesting, it was because Chastity came forward and said, enough. And then they finally arrested him, and then he finally pled an Alford plea, and, which means it didn't go to, it went, it was a court case, but they didn't have to have a jury trial because he pled an Alford, which means that they have enough evidence to convict him. Right. That he's not pleading guilty, but he is now a convicted felon in Loudoun County and he is a registered sex offender. So, was, and he goes to Calvary Temple. Was there any type of, um, I mean, <clears throat> as a deacon, obviously he's, they removed him as a deacon after that happened, but it, is there any other instances that you know of in the within the leadership where issues like that were happening? Um, well, this is what I can say, because there is still an active investigation into people at Calvary Temple. Hmm. And um, I do know that there are other, there are other girls who hmm. have um, accused people there. Hmm. So this is what I can say. <clears throat> Bob Scott sexually molested his six-year-old and eight-year-old niece in California when he was a youth pastor out there and his wife was in the hospital having their first child, Kimberly, who is now I guess it's been 45 years, right? Since he, and then he came to, he did that for three years. That's what the, um, <clears throat> there's an email that his son, Star Junior, Star the Second, wrote to his dad exposing all of that. Wow. About the molestation of his nieces. And then they came to Herndon to, be a to be a youth pastor in the Assemblies of God in Herndon, and he molested those girls one more time when Janet's sister came to visit them. He molested them one more time. Janet caught him. The sister and the kids never visited ever again, and they brought the kids home from wherever they were, and they said that you can never talk about this because if, if this comes out, we'll lose everything. That's mm. what they said. There is a Herndon police report. But what I can tell you is that there is a sensual spirit in Calvary Temple that Bob Scott brought with him to Cali- from California. Mm. 
And there are people that, you know, went to Calvary Temple, you know, when it moved from Herndon over to Sterling. And then when he, there, this was before I got there, there was a split in the church and he kicked out deacons and he kicked out elders and he came out from the oversight of the assemblies of God and he became it. Hmm. He didn't, he wasn't accountable to anybody. He does not have to account himself to anybody. Hmm. That was before I got there. I didn't know about any of this, but that's what he did. He locked the doors and he said, these people are gone. And at the time the school was open to anybody, Anybody who, you know, who paid tuition, anybody, in, it, you didn't have to go to Calvary Temple to go there. And when he did that, he kicked everybody out of the school. The only people that go to the school is if you attend a Calvary Temple. And that's how it's been ever since. But I didn't know all of that, you know, when I started to go there. I didn't know all of that. So, <clears throat> okay. So, I, I mean, if they're not willing to press charges, there's really nothing that can happen, you know, in if they're not willing to do anything, unfortunately, but, but I totally understand. Well, the girls were paid. We, you mean the girls in California? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the girls were paid off. Wow. He, he paid the girls off. He paid them off for their silence. Man. <laughs> so let me just paint, let me, I want to paint a picture yeah. for our listeners. So you've got a guy who starts off as a youth pastor and he leaves California under a bad situation, probably because he was in hot water because of his actions. Mm -hmm. And so then he becomes another youth pastor out here in Herndon in Virginia. And then he then launches out to his own church, which then he disassociates with the denomination that is put him in place and ordained him. And then he begins to basically pad his pockets with the finances of the church as it grew. He obviously, it seems like he obviously had some sort of gift of being able to speak uh, or teach at some level because people were drawn to him. But but then he becomes wealthy off of this. He buys cars, he buys houses. And then, and then there was an underlying uh, spirit of sensuality, as you just said, mm-hmm. uh, that probably followed him from California. And then you see it play out in one of the deacons who actually is arrested for pedophilia. And um, other people are have accusations against him as well, so, and him grooming his now wife, gr- grooming his wife, which yeah. is insane to think about. So, let's talk. I, there's so much more that I know about, so I'm going to try and do some pinpointing here because there's some things that I definitely want our listeners to hear, and it, this is important because it's so radically unhealthy. This is not a gossip session. This is actually mm-hmm. thing. It's a history lesson. It, that's how I look at it. But um, so people's families were ripped to pieces um, because of their lack of commitment, like their spouse's lack of commitment to the, to the church or unwillingness to maybe give money uh, or attend regularly. Um, Can you explain some of those situations Mm -hmm. for us? Well, you can, yes, you're, that's part of, you can be under discipline or families can be destroyed for any perceived infraction. People get marked. Um, if, yeah, they'll, they'll have husbands put wives out. Wives will put husbands out. We'll put, they'll, will put kids out on the street, eight years old, no clothes on the middle, on their back in the middle of the night. There are several, in, many instances of that. They, um, that, they that, don't, they the, don't have any problem doing that. That's the church telling 
a individual family, you like, you need to send your kid outside of the house. Just to yep. reiterate that, yeah. Like he's like wow. an eight year old though. Yeah. How do they not get arrested for that? That's what's blowing me away right now. Because nobody, everybody, see, you you said something earlier about, you know, a good cult leader is charismatic, right? Jim Jones was very charismatic. Mm-hmm. You know, Bob Scott's very charismatic. And they, cult leaders will take the word of God and they will twist it and manipulate it just subtly, right? Yeah. So, and then they're very authoritarian. So, um, it turns into a very hypocritical, self-righteous um, work yeah. place. Mm-hmm. That's really what it becomes. Even though, and and because of his manipulation, you you will always feel that it's because of something you did. Right. I, I did it. I'm the one who's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who has... The, the wrong thinking. Uh, you're not the man of God. Not yeah. not Bob Scott. You know, don't touch God's anointed. You know, you're <laughs> you're. Well, I, I mean, you know the key scriptures, right? That's, right. Mm-hmm. And so he's very good hmm. at using those scriptures and manipulating them, and you write them down, and you know, bless God. You know, he's a prophet. He's an the apostle. You know, the apostle. Don't touch God's anointed. So. There, I mean, it could be, if you question anything, like they would have, um, like panels, right? After a series of teachings and they would all sit up there and, um, there, there's a couple of people <laughs> that would ask questions and I'm like, Oh God, here we go. Because you knew that, you know, you were asking it in such a way, it seemed like you were questioning Bob Scott. So you hmm. knew there would be meetings. You know, he does sanction, and so then from the pulpit, he, and we are not, and I agree with you, that we are not gossiping. This, and this is my testimony, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. But what Bob Scott would do would be, what I call it, sanction gossip from the pulpit. He would go up there, and he would say, oh, you know, we've got some issues going on in some families here and, you know, the wife thinks this or the husband thinks that or the kids or the high school. So everybody would be like, what are they talking about? I mean, I I don't think they're talking about me. Are they talking about me? So there's this drama. There's this chaos. There's this confusion. And the word says, you know, there's every evil work then because no one knows who they're talking about, you know, everybody becomes suspicious of each other, kind of right. like what's going on in the nation right now. <laughs> Neighbors, you know, and and then they create this environment where they'll say, you know, you're never wrong in reporting up, you know. So then mm. people tell on each other to wow. their deacons, you know. If, wow. you, if you had a conversation and somebody said something that you perceived as, as you know, maybe not, you know, where you should be, you could get yourself stuck into a meeting. So, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many families have been destroyed. People who come out of that place intact, it's a miracle. Yeah. 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 Well, miracle. so you, you said you, you could get sucked into a meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you ever a part of any of these meetings yourself? Only when I started seeing, you know, they, um, I, no, because I was, you know, I was a good girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm an obedient girl. So, you know, and I, and listen, there's, there's like a caste system in there. 
You know, you have Bob, and then you have the pastors and their wives and the deacons and their wives, and then you might have people that are kind of in that circle around the deacon, and then you have people on the fringe, right? Yeah. And I wasn't a fringe person, you know, an unlovable, you know, but, you know, you're bringing in the money, so, you know, you can be here. We'll tolerate you. Right. Um, I was you know, closer. And the, the more I stayed and the more I got involved, the closer I got to the yeah. deacon pastoral level. So there are, there are levels of, um, classes in there for sure. Yeah. But, um, the Bob Scott, the Bob and Greer thing happened. And I remember, you know, the Holy Spirit saying, you know, wait a minute, Jesus is our high priest. Bob Scott is not the high priest, right? Mm-hmm. right. but I pushed it down right? You, you push it down because again, you're trained to think that I'm the one who's thinking wrong. You know, mm-hmm. he knows the word of God better than me. You know, I, I must have this wrong. I must've misunderstood. I'm, you know, but people, very few people left that over that, but people did leave over that. Hmm. We got them married. Um, and then Channing, my youngest in 10th grade wanted to leave. And, there was no talking him out of it. No talking out. We went to, we did go to meetings because it was him along with four other boys that together, you know, strength in numbers, they decided they wanted to leave. Hmm. And, um, so we did attend a lot of meetings with these, um, with the parents of these kids and with the pastors and stuff like that. And, um, he was, he was suspended for two weeks and, I was told that I was supposed to treat him like he was dead. They were using the Deuteronomy scripture, which of course was misapplied, mm-hmm. um, completely misapplied, but where they would take um, rebellious children to the gate and stone them to death. Oh and so they were seen as rebellious. <laughs> All right. They were seen as rebellious, M- totally misapplied that scripture. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, like, Shani- <laughs> Right, just a little, <laughs> and um, <laughs> but Channing had to ask for every you know food, every bite. You know, it was just, and I, wow. and it's one of those things that you know I, I regret to to the day I die, but um, I did it for about a week and a half. I I did do that, and um, but then I remembered Luke fifteen, and I remembered the story of the prodigal son, and right. I. You know, and I'm like, he's he's 16 years old. What are you right. What are you doing? You know, he the father didn't treat the prodigal son like that, and so I started to question. Yeah, that was that was the turning point for me. David Wilkerson. I don't know if everybody. You, I know you all do. I don't know if your listeners do, but David Wilkerson did a newsletter that he was talking about the prodigal son and and all of us parents who knew that what they wanted, what Calvary Temple wanted us, how they wanted us to treat our kids was not loving. It was not what the heart of Jesus, the heart of God was. And we shared that newsletter and he gets up in the pulpit and denounces David Wilkerson. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Right? So um, Channing left. Things between Dale and I um, were not, you know, they were becoming strained, obviously, you know, the mm-hmm. treatment of Channing and things like that. He And he was quiet. He was very quiet, but things were strained. And um, Channing wound up going to public school, uh, 
you know, a place where he didn't want him to go. He finished out his high school career in Potomac Falls there in uh, Cascades. And um, then Dale asked me for a divorce. And uh, we separated, we, we separated within the house. And then that Thanksgiving we reconciled. And um, in February, 2006, he was done. He had had enough. And uh, he wasn't allowed, Calvary Temple would not allow him to go to Stewart's graduation at Calvary Temple. He wasn't allowed to go because he didn't attend. He wasn't a member of the church. Even though he was a great father, had been to every sports event, anything to do with anything, he just didn't attend the church. He wasn't allowed to go to Stewart's graduation. So what, I mean, okay, so here's where I have a rub with this. Like, if someone... If I was in that situation, I would be like, I'm going to be there. What are you going to do? What are they going to do? Call the cops? They would have. They would have. They would not let him in. They have, they, um, you know, all the deacons and then they have the captains and they have all these people who stand at the door Hmm. and they will not let you in. Really? We've had, they they stopped having, um, they would do weddings there and they got to the point where they, it's, if you weren't a member, if your family members weren't a member of Calvary Temple, you couldn't go to the wedding. So if you wanted your family, any friends and family to go to your wedding, you would have to have your wedding off Calvary Temple property. Yeah. And it you would have to have other people marry you because if you had right. these heathens come to your wedding, then the pastors wouldn't marry you. Right. And the pastors wouldn't marry you anywhere else outside of the church. The- Church. I keep saying church, but outside of the the building, right? Yeah, right. the property. Wow. Off the do property. you think? Do you think that there was a um, that there was a fear of people who may have been uninitiated, for back, lack of a better word? <laughs> do you think that there was a fear of other people catching wind that this was just kind of fishy? Like, do you think that they were like, as far as they treated uh, like newcomers and um like people who were new to the church, was there almost like a initi- initiation period that, you know, you had to check a few boxes before essentially like you had to be promised to like become a member and accept everything that was going to happen um, yeah. in order to like continue going to the church. Um, because I'm just wondering like how, were there any dissenters at all? Um, and if people were coming into the church and having red flags about it, like um, how did they treat those people yeah no that no the answer it's weird to even say no to all of that because you would think that a place that's so authoritative they would Hmm. but um you know they take you under your wing pretty quickly and and bring you along to the Hmm. ways of calvary so you're either gonna you're either gonna want to be involved in that place or you're you're not i mean i know that there are people that go in there and go oh this place is like it gives me the creep Hmm. and they won't they leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I never got that feeling, but there are people that do, but no, they, they don't, but there's, you know, there's a, there's a gentle prodding, so to speak, you know, you, you want to, again, you go in there. It's like, you don't expect your pastor to be a a cult leader pedophile. You know, you don't expect that. So you go in there thinking the best, right? You go in there just wanting to serve the Lord. And before you know it, that water is, 
kind of really warm and almost boiling. And mm-hmm. I mean, there are people in there that have been in there for decades that are still there. They've had, they've seen, and then they, there have been divorces in there and people marry each other. You know, they're, I mean, these plate they condone divorces, you know, it, it, it's just crazy to me or they'll push somebody out and then they'll marry that person off. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, to another member, that. to another member, right. To another member. Right. And then they inter they intermarry. <laughs> so everybody's intermarried. That's another way to keep people there. Right. So now, even if you didn't, if, even if you saw what was going on, even if you were unhappy there, if you leave, you, you forsake kids, Family, you forsake yeah. grandkids, forsake friends, Anybody you ever knew, if you were in relationship with them, it's done. Mm, it's yeah. done. So you stay. So, you know, on that note, I, when I was a pastor at the church that you currently attend, Michelle, um, I was there for many years, probably 13 years, and um, as a pastor. And I remember families would come to our church, and they would um, just be so broken. And they would be broken because not only what they— when they left, part of their family didn't come with them. So they might have older kids that are still, you know, there, and they have grandchildren that they'll never see, mm-hmm. and they actually keep them from being able to see them. Um, and these are things, these are tactics that they learn from the church. And um, so I guess when I'm, because, you know, my pastor heart is like, okay, here's the flag. He's moving away from teaching the Word of God. He has zero accountability. Uh, he's got cronies for, you know, assistants, not pastors, you know, um, and deacons. He's got basically hitmen and, you know, lynchmen and guys that—the muscle, if you will. Yeah. It's like a mob. Uh, yeah. the, the money yeah. is just flowing right into his pockets. Um, and then you have the, the sexual immorality that is prevalent through the pedophilia and, and then the accusations. I mean, it's like— Everything that you could do wrong, it seems to show its face there. But the people that are inside, they genuinely love God, and they're just being manipulated by the weight of this this forceful cult leader, this charismatic, forceful guy. Now, he's got to be getting pretty old now, isn't he? He's probably in his, what, late 60s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's pushing 70. His birthday was in May. Um I used to be able to tell you exactly how old he is. Um, he's so, you know, other than the harm that he still does, you know, he's, and I've talked, you know, I've been in therapy. (laughs) You have to, you have to figure out how to live with the destruction of your family. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, he's, he's getting up there. He's still, he still gets up in the pulpit. Um, we still, kind of tune in. We try to keep a pulse point on the blasphemy that he's spewing, you know, mm-hmm. whatever flavor it is. You know, we try to um, keep a pulse point on it. We, you know, we, we try to find out when people leave and, mm-hmm. you know, we try to let them know that we're there um, for them. The, the problem is, is that um, if you speak out, you are definitely public enemy number one mm-hmm. to Bob Scott. Mm-hmm. So they are they're so, you know, they they're they're so tight in there. There's there's less. There's probably around 300 people that are still left in there. And we're talking about a place that had over a thousand people, and it's mm-hmm. dwindled down to probably around 300 mm-hmm. of the faithful. And if they have anybody new come in, it's usually um, people that. 
just don't know because, you know, Loudoun County is very transient. So yeah. people are always moving and moving out. So that's, that, that's been the biggest challenge for us. Um, because my, my goal has always been to warn people to not go in okay. there. I, and when you're talking about the people that are in there, I know that I, you know, just like the Bible said, I had scales on my eyes. I had, you know, plugs in my ears and my heart was turning to stone. Mm. And it's a, it's a supernatural um, deception, yeah. you know. I was going to ask, uh, and you kind of uh, gave more information, what I was going to ask, but if there's 300 or so there still, um, I don't know, I, I guess maybe to kind of back up before the question is, like when when all of a sudden you started uh, you know like when the holy spirit started talking to you and you started being able to you know like what you just said the scales start to fall off how many um like how am i trying to say it uh i don't not necessarily a, a quantifiable number but um like were you, do you think that you were the only one at that time or do you think that there were maybe a handful do you think that there was a quarter of the other people that were too scared to leave like i was kind of wondering like even now if there's 300 that are there now are at this point are all 300 of them like sold in for good or do you think that there's still you know uh, out of 300 maybe a ten, what would a tenth be 30 um are, are, is there one person, is there three people who might be too scared to leave? Like, do you think at any one point in time that there's people that are in that, but don't want to lose all their friends? Like, cause I don't want to, it, 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 well, they do. Yeah. Cause they hold well, you hostage. Right. But I was going to say, I, I don't, I, I'm trying not to, I, like, I, I don't want to downplay the like impact that obviously, <laughs> You know, like losing all of your, you know, your family, all the your friends that you're going there with, your kids' friends, like the fact that they're, you know, if you leave and your kids still stay, um, or a different parent, you know, right, they're going to be ostracized from their friends. They're, I, I'm not trying to downplay that as to, you know, when people might say like, well, why don't you just leave or you know all that stuff. I'm not trying to downplay that, but I was just more so curious as to. Do you think that there, like right now, any people in that go there that may be looking around and realizing, but they're just too scared? Or do you think that there was not meant not that many people, uh, or like I don't want to say the radical followers that are all that are there left, but does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm sure it, it definitely it. makes sense. No, no, I no, I get what you're saying. Um, like for me, when I know that, um, well, number one, you think you're alone. Right, right. That's the first thing. When the Lord's to open your eyes, you are genuinely afraid because yeah. you're like, oh my God, you know, and what if, what if somebody, what if somebody sees, what if somebody knows, you know, mm -hmm. so you, while you're trying, while the Holy Spirit is trying to open your eyes and you're trying to figure things out, you're afraid. Yeah. Um, for me, I, there, there were other people that were staying at the same time mm. there. And, um, we, we would have, um, clandestine meetings to talk about what yeah. the Lord was showing us. And, and it, it, it's hard. You start to, you start, I guess 
maybe, you know, it's kind of like you start to smell different. You start to look mm-hmm. different. You start to act different. It's the only thing I can think because then they started to watch mm. um, us. At the fosters who were, their son <laughs> left at the same time. So they were watching, you know, we were all talking. Mm. We were all talking. This is wrong. What they're doing is wrong, <laughs> you know, and you know, if you, if you, if anybody hears you say that you get reported, right? Mm-hmm. So there, we would have lots of conversations. And, um, so yes, there were, there are times when, you know, it, you know, sometimes a fringe person will go, you may not even know they're gone. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a terrible thing to say, but it's the truth. It's true. And, um, but if somebody higher up goes like, they were in that assemblies of God in Herndon when Bob came. So they were part of that congregation long before Bob even got there. In fact, brother is still a pastor in Calvary temple and won't have anything to do with her. Mm. Right. So, um, you know, they just stopped going. She just couldn't go. You know, there's a point where you get physically ill. You can't go anymore. You, you cannot go. And um, was the pianist for decades, 40 years, and they asked him to leave hmm. because they would not put their son out of the house. Hmm. They, they didn't need him anymore. Hmm. So, um, but to answer your question right now, because people have trickled out over the years. Mm-hmm. So do I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is what we pray. And I believe he hears our prayers, that people's eyes will be open. So I believe that there are people there that will continue to see and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the hardcore in there who are intermarried and grandkids. And, you know, whether if they if they see, what does the word say? A lot of times the scales are taken off, but if you don't do anything about it, they come on even thicker, mm-hmm. right? So... Plus, they don't—they don't allow themselves to, like, for instance, when Star sent that email out exposing his father and his sexual deeds in California. Chuck LaRock, who left, but he was a high pa- high up pastor there, he sent an email out to everybody because we were on an email chain. Don't read the evil email. Hmm. And do you know to this day, people still haven't read that email. Wow. So that's how obedient the people are. Yeah. They didn't read it. So they don't read my blog. When I was writing all of the art, you know, I put out all the articles about Kevin O'Connor's arrest and his sub, you know, him taking the Alfred plea and being convicted. Um, one, in fact, that pastor I was telling you about married a woman named and her mother is still friends with I hope you're following this mm-hmm. and they talk. So mother sent her my blog article and she said, I don't read garbage like that. So mm-hmm. they just won't do it. Yeah. Bob tells you not to do it. So they don't. Wow. It's that classic manipulation. So I, don't know if I, I hope yeah. I answered your question that, but I, I think that there might be one or two in there, mm-hmm. but you don't know. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was it like for you when you finally made that decision to leave and how did, did you talk to them about it or did you just kind of disappear? Well, I had been, I had 
questions. You know, I had asked for meetings because, you know, and, and I, I was seeing things happening. I was seeing the reporting up. I was seeing the young adults turn on each other. You know, they, mm-hmm. everybody was turning on each other and we were consuming each other. Everybody, you know, we wanted to be the perfect Bobite, you know? <laughs> so I could see all of these things happening and I, I requested a meeting cause I wanted to, I wanted to ask about Galatians. You know, he, he was putting us back under the law. He mm-hmm. was, you know, he was making us, you know, we were self-righteous. We, we, we were wrapping ourselves in our pharisaical robes and, and judging one another and trampling the blood of Jesus. And, and I, and I, and I have to tell it's so, you know, all of this is a miracle to me is all I can say because I'm in the meeting. They're, they're listening. I'm asking my questions and Bob Scott goes, well, I guess you could look at it like that. I mean, he literally said that. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the enemy was trying to put the skills back on my eyes. I remember I left the meeting and, and my deacon, Jamie goes, are you feeling, are you okay? Are you feeling better? Yeah, I'm feeling better. And I left Calvary that day and I went, wait a minute now. He didn't say anything. Right. He, did, he didn't address yeah. anything. So the enemy was trying to put the skills back on my eyes. So I had, that was, and I was just getting further and further away. Like in July of 2007, um, I had to sever the relationship with my best friend because she couldn't understand why I was so upset about my husband's and my divorce. She couldn't understand it. And, you know, I was seeing, the Lord was just opening my eyes, opening my eyes, opening my eyes. It was hard for me to participate. It was hard for me to go. And I had made the decision that I was going to leave you know, it got into December, Christmas time, and I was going to help with the, you know, the the Christmas program. And Bruce Dimsey, the person who told me about Calvary Temple, wanted Stuart and I because Channing and Dale they were in their own house. We had split households by this point. It was Stu and me. We were literally split down the middle. It was mm-hmm. Stu and me in one house, Channing and Dale in another, and they invited um, Stu and I to come over for. Christmas dinner and I said yeah so I said okay at the new year I'm going to leave and it was um, I guess it was two weeks before Christmas and I was in the the townhouse that we were renting and I was painting and I wasn't up at the basketball games I couldn't go and I was getting text messages from Kimberly Scott you know where are you you? where's the Michelle I used to know you know And I could hear her voice in the text messaging. Where's Michelle? You know, that's literally how she sounds. And um, I felt, I, to this day, I felt the hand of God in the middle of my back and pushing me out of Calvary Temple. Wow. I never went back. I didn't go to church that Sunday. I never went back. And I, I, I wrote a letter to Bob Scott. I wrote a letter to my deacon, and I wrote a letter to Bruce Simsey. And, you know, two, only two people called me. And when I left, um, and I went right over, and I asked forgiveness from my husband and my son, and they forgave me, but my son, my um, my husband told me it was too late for us, that he mm. wouldn't reconcile. Mm. And it took him five years to divorce me, but, um, wow. you know, he, for his reasons, he just wouldn't give me another chance after leaving Calvary. Mm. And um, Stu stayed. And I was trying to talk him into leaving, and he looked, 
and he was still blind and he looked at me one day with tears in his eyes and he said, mom, if, if you're talking that way about Calvary Temple, then you're talking that way about me. Mm. So I knew I had to stop talking and I had to pray. And um, that following spring, I was going to a Nazarene church in Leesburg, the Leesburg Nazarene church, and we would pray every Sunday and we would pray for Calvary Temple. Yeah. I, I kid you not, because a, a bunch of us that left Calvary at that same time, the Fosters, um, uh, the Seminoles, and then um, uh, one other person left after we did. We would go to the, we went to the Nazarene church. And, and the reason why we went there was because family all went there. So it was kind of like, you know, it was a very sweet place to heal yeah. is what I want to say. Yeah. And um, we would pray every Sunday night. We would pray for Stu. We would pray for the kids. We would pray for Calvary Temple. We would pray for Bob Scott. We would march around the altar like we were marching around the walls of Jericho, you know, for those walls to come down, for the Mm. people to be set free. And one Sunday night, um, I never sat down. I stood the whole time praying. And I knew that night when I left, something had happened in, in one of the hearts of my family. I didn't know if it was Dale Channing or Stu, but I knew. And that following um, Monday night, Stu had skip practice up there in the young adults. And he came home, and I was already in bed, and he came upstairs. He never did that, and he just held my hand. And I said, Stu, you know, I woke up. Are, you, are everything okay? How was skip practice? You know, I would ask him because I knew I couldn't say anything, right? He goes, oh, it's okay. I said, are you sure? He goes, yeah, it's okay. Okay, I love you. And he went to bed. And I called the next day. I called, and Dale and I were still talking. We haven't talked in years. But my ex and I were still talking. I go, something's happened. Something's going on. You know, I, there's something. I don't know what's going on. He goes, I'm going to let him tell you. I go, no, 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 no. You have to tell me. He goes, well, he left Calvary Temple. I yeah. went, What? He had left Calvary Temple, and what happened was, because he was living with me, he the, a deacon and a friend of his, uh, a captain and a, and a friend, told him that he had to move out of my house in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, you know, because they walk in the light, right? Mm. In the middle of the night, without me knowing, if he didn't do that, they were wow. going to put him on visitor status, he wouldn't be able to talk to anyone, he wasn't going to be able to participate in anything. So, you know, they don't tell you what to do, but there are consequences if you don't do what they want. And yeah. he left Calvary. And so, wow. you know, praise the Lord, he came out. But, you know, there are other people, the fosters I'm telling you about, their oldest daughter is still in there. They have three kids. They've never yeah. met them. Wow. They won't yeah. have anything to do with them. We've all been marked because we speak out. And, that was, and then, you know, after all of the, um, the newspapers and the protesting and all of that, um, now, if you don't speak out, you know, if you've been marked before and you apologize to Bob for God knows what, then maybe you can have a relationship if you're outside of Calvary with people that are in. But if you have spoken out in any way, shape, or form, and you still have family in there, you will never be able to, you, you can't talk to them. So there's story after story, Molly Fitch. What's the, person. What, what's the scripture that they use to justify that? Um, you, you, um, well, if 
they went out from us because they were not part of us. They will use that scripture, <laughs> right? Oh, wow. Misapplied. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you and if you and if you leave, then you you're turned over. You are fully serving Satan. Hmm. And then they mark us. They mark. They use marking like a weapon. You're hmm. marked, which means you're shunned. You can't have anything to do with that person because what they're what they say is that they're praying that you will bow the knee and come back. Right. It's a discipline. Like they're trying to use it as just church discipline. Uh, this is Correct. maybe my ignorance is with this marking. Is that the same thing as like Cain? Would, <laughs> does that have anything to do with that? Like, I, I don't think it's like that, but it is in the same, it's in the same sense that, that to the congregation at Calvary temple, when they market an individual, they're basically saying that person, you need to avoid them because they're in rebellion Right. And they're yeah. going to lead you into rebellion, and they're dangerous, and they need to repent. Yeah, I get that. But I'm just right. saying there's nothing—I just immediately thought of, like, Cain, of how he was, th- you know, like, gone out from everything. Right, and, right. Uh, he was marked, marked so that, him. Yeah. Okay. So everywhere he went, though, he was—it was known. Right. But— uh but yeah, that that's insane to me to think about the just disruption that it would do to a family, the manipulation, and how the people are kind of held in a spell where they just are like, you know, turning on each other, and and they turn on each other probably because they want to stay in the good graces, and they feel like, hey, if I'm a good soldier, and I and I report this person, then they're gonna know how committed I am. They're gonna know. Did they have uh, mandatory tithing? By the way, I meant to ask that. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they, they know, they know what you tithe. They know if you don't tithe. Um, and if you don't, if you're in financial hardship or something like that and you miss, then, you know, they have, there's a penalty that you have to tack onto that. And then they have the double tithe, the triple tithe, right? They have the Joash chest, they have missions. Oh Yeah. So what? Oh, yeah. What's a commit? Like for instance, say there's a committed member of of Calvary Temple. What would be like an, a a percentage of their income that they give? Fifty percent. Um, it's a good question because there are people there that have money. You know, we yeah. live in Long County. Right. We have government workers. We've got business men and women. We we. You know, it's a very affluent right. um, congregation. There might be some people there that don't have money, but it's a very affluent congregation. So people Gosh, give man. free will offering of their blessing, yeah. right? Because the man of God, they're so well taught. Yeah, yeah. So well taken. I, I hate when I make that voice because <laughs> <laughs> they can't see my face. But, right. you know, that's... That's what we all do because that's what he says. You know, the man of God. That's what we say. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah a lot of, and it's so funny because when we had our first protest, MRC TV was there. Mm-hmm. And it's still one of my favorite videos because it really, um, it, it's so funny because it really highlighted what Calvary Temple is in a very short segment. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. it, maybe I can't remember, is it a 10-minute video? It's, I don't even think... It's probably eight minutes, not even that. And they did a better job than all the news agencies and all the newspaper articles. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there were two po- there were three post articles that did an excellent job. Michelle Borstein and then oh, Britt Peterson was the last one. Did a great job. 
but in just like a, a six, seven, eight minute segment, he we were able to describe Calvary Temple to a T. And he asked who was terribly treated. He has PTSD. I mean, mm. horrible PTSD to this day. You know how he was treated at Calvary Temple. He is now out. That um, the the interviewer asked how much he thought his parents had given in to Calvary Temple in the decades that they'd been there. He goes. He just said like, oh, maybe tens of thousands. But I'm sure they gave well over hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. in their course of being there. Mm. Um, because again, you know, because of their occupation, they, they freely gave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with generously giving. In fact, God yeah. loves a generous giver. And, uh, right. but under, you're not supposed to give under compulsion. Paul was very clear about that. He said, he lo- God loves a cheerful giver, not one under compulsion or manipulation. Yeah. I was going to say that I, this was just, this is a weird question. Um, but it just kind of sprung in me um like as far as so obviously like in that instance with the inheritance the church was did the church know that he had gotten the inheritance before he actually gave it like i i it was i don't want to say he's gonna get it i just keep yeah i keep uh like in my head thinking of because it sounds just like nazi germany how everyone the communists in uh (laughs) Like in the USSR where they're turning in their neighbors because I was going to say, I bet, I wonder if this happens where like, if I know you're doing something and I'm also doing something, I'm going to turn you in so that all the attention goes to you. And then everyone, I look good and my sins aren't going to be exposed. Yeah. And I I was going to say, did the church keep tabs on like, uh, uh, just for an example, I don't know, uh, say I'm a, a family in, Loudoun County median incomes like 150,000 say like that. Um, and I'm only giving like 10 grand a year. Does the church have like, would they go so far or and maybe you might not know this. Do you think they kept records on like people when they got promotions or they knew how much they make and then they can come out and say, Hey, we know you make a lot more. You're not even giving close to 10% or something like that. I mean, if they tracked people's income to know what people make, I don't think so. Hmm. But what I will say is, you know, we're a very transparent people, right? That's true. So if I would think that just, you know, Bob's not a stupid person. He's a coward, but he's not stupid. <laughs> so just from talking people would talk about what they do mm. so you kind of have an idea of yeah. what they make right so but it wasn't so much i don't think that they knew the exact percentage you should give but if you stop giving that would definitely be you know right, a reason right. to talk with you and plus they tracked everything so mm. you know they had an accountant so they knew if you were giving or if you weren't giving and and it probably would go you know, like this it'd be like hey we really want you to um to lead that small group but you know you're a leader and in that position you need to be leading by example and we know that your giving's kind of been sporadic hmm. what's going on with that are you not committed to the lord because we want to be able to put someone up there that we know yeah is committed to the lord well you're robbing the lord right, right. yeah right you're robbing the lord if you don't you're robbing the lord it's right. not your father isn't getting his money 
that you're robbing the Lord. Right, mm-hmm. you're holding on to God. It's God's money anyways, and right. that's why we, yeah. I mean, that's, I was going to say, that's, that's a perfect example it. of, for anyone out there, that's a perfect example of the twisting of Scripture, which right. is the idea that, yeah, we give as, uh, you should give, as you know that you're trusting god it's god's money anyways so you know we're right right and normal and now it's yeah because you're not giving here to bob it's because you're hoarding god's money for yourself like so right. i was just gonna say that's really interesting just to point out that little yeah that little the change yeah. is just so huge and insidious yeah. yeah yeah to this day i i mean i just now started doing you know, free will offering to where I'm being fed. But I, that was a trigger point for mm-hmm. me yeah, yeah. for years and years and years. And, um, you know, it didn't matter what church I would go to. If they talked about money, I was like, oh, I'm done. Yeah. Well, you know, the good thing about that, Michelle, is that God doesn't need your money. So, <laughs> I mean, literally, he doesn't need it. Uh, he doesn't need anything. Uh, and so that's the good news about that is, and he's full right. of grace. I mean, I can't imagine, like, this is the other thing was, like, I wanted to ask you, like, once you got out of there and you found yourself in a place that you wanted to kind of settle into and and kind of just, I'm sure you were, like, arm's length for everything. <laughs> I'm not I'm not getting too involved. I'll come on Sunday. I might come on a Wednesday. But if you start asking me to be at the women's and doing this and doing that, I'm probably going to roll out. But what was the best, for you, what was the best feeling that that you had when you finally got set free and out of there like what was your favorite part about all of that i the well just the, i felt free like mm-hmm. i felt like all the bonds all the bondage all the all the chains were just smashed to smithereens i mean then you have to heal yeah, but yeah. i just felt so free because you become an you just become, it's like you're shrinking down into yourself, you know, for lack of a better word. Like if you are, if you're not like everybody else in there, you know, if you don't like the same and you're very, they're very, they're, they're very enclosed, you know, and, and you have to remember one thing that once you leave Calvary, you know, and the fear is a very controlling thing. So right. fear is a very, it's a very strong tool for Bob Scott because people leave afraid. And so if you can't, like I did not leave, I didn't leave afraid. Like there were, there were vestiges of that, but I didn't leave like other people who had left before me. There were people that wouldn't talk about Calvary Temple, wouldn't talk about Bob Scott, even Mm -hmm. to this day, won't do it because of the brainwashing. Mm -hmm. But I never left afraid of him. You know, there was a, there was a difference in people that leave now, you know, from when I left in 2007 on, there was a difference in this group of XCTers. We, I'm not afraid of him. Yeah. Right. But there were so many people that were, and to some degree still are, that Mm -hmm. will not speak out, will not say anything. So, but the, the best thing was just that freedom, you know, that Mm -hmm. freedom that, you know, and then you have to you had to get rid of everything, you know, you had to really find out what those scriptures actually meant because he had twisted Mm -hmm. and manipulated them so much. And then as far as church goes, 
and I did go to the Nazarene church and I, and I went there for a while, but you know, you're, there's such, you're so self-righteous and so judgmental when you leave a place like Calvary temple, because that's what you don't, you would never say that, Mm -hmm. but that's what you become. And so you're, and then you're hypersensitive to every word that a pastor speaks or, you know, you're, and then you think that you're full of knowledge biblical knowledge because you believe you're so well taught. Like Bob Scott literally says that Calvary Temple is the best church in the area. That if you go anywhere else, you are nowhere near the, right? So you are a fool of yourself, wow. right? That's all. It's you're such a, a, man, it's a manipulation tactic. It's yeah. so, he's got the manipulation down. Like mm-hmm. that's incredible. Oh, he's good. Yeah, man. Yeah, I hate to get I hate to give him in credit, but he's very good at what he does. Well, he's good at being bad, so I guess if yeah. you're good at something, I guess you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, man, uh, and so now you've been out of there for how long? Since 2007, so it's almost 14 years. Yeah. Almost 14 right? years. Right? And you right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds about right. It's 21, 14, yeah. yeah, seven to. Don't look at me. I'm bad at yeah. math at night now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, in your, in your journey out and your journey of healing, um, what was the, what was the biggest thing that you had a hard, what was the hardest thing for you to, to get the, like the biggest hump to get over or the biggest thing to let go of for you? There were a couple of things. Um, number, namely the number one thing of course is what I allowed to happen to my family. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Talking to a therapist, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, there knowing that, and it, and it's so it, it's terrible if you think about it because it there you are thinking that you're doing the right thing. Okay. You know, you you take your children to a place you think that they're going to be safe. You, you okay. take them to a place where you think your family's going to be safe. You, you think that you will thrive, not be destroyed. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of healing that has had to happen in that regard. You yeah. know, I've had to watch my ex finally divorce me and then get remarried himself. And I had my youngest son who um, he and I are we still have a strained relationship, although it's, he didn't talk to me for four years. Mm. And when it wasn't until my stepmother died in November of 2009 that we talked for the first time. And he let me have it. You know, he he let me have it. And, um, you know, and then we were good, getting better. And so, but he's. You know, he's just living his life, and I'm still praying. Yeah, <laughs> and I know yeah. God's going to continue to heal there. But, well, that's you the... know, there, and my, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the, the the fallout from such a difficult situation like that is that a, a lot of people will leave a situation like that. They're so wounded that they're just, they're just like, I have nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the church. All of that has a bad taste in my mouth. It's evil. I those people are, you can have it. I don't want it. And, um, you know, I've seen that happen with people that just have been hurt by not even a bad, uh, not a bad trip. It was a bad situation. 
maybe somebody said something wrong or did something wrong. I've seen that happen. You said something though that really was interesting to me. You said when I left and I was you were at the little Nazarene church, you said that you were self-righteous uh, because you had been trained to think that you knew everything and that you were part of the best church around, but you had yet you had left because it was so bad. <laughs> and but so you're kind of like unlearning and relearning. Uh, did you feel like you had to kind of like take it all the way down to this, the bare slate? Like, just like I'm starting yeah. all over again. And then, and then you add well, to that, that I you don't to... trust anyone. <laughs> right. Well, both, um, both. Yeah. Hmm. You even to, um, it's, it's still hard for me to actually go in the Nazarene church was very sweet. And I, and I got involved with the praise team pretty right away because you've got to remember Calvary temple. We were always there. Yeah. So yeah. we went, I, I mean, I went, I I started college online because we were used to being up there all the time. So I, I worked a full-time job, went to online school. And then when Dale and I separated and I had to take on more and more financial responsibility because our, finances were separated, I had to take a second job. So I was so used to that dizziness that I had to fill it with stuff. Yeah. And that included going to church. You know, I just, because when you leave at Calvary, you kind of want to prove to them that you're still a Christian, right? Because mm -hmm. they think you're not, right. right? So then you can say, well, I'm going to the Nazarene church. What's wrong? You know, you don't, you people don't know what you're talking about, right? Mm. So there, there are a lot of things. It, it takes a long time to really, I, I mean, I never thought of myself as having PTSD, but, you know, I guess I do because there's still some things that trigger, mm -hmm. you know, scripture, certain scriptures will still trigger. Hmm. So you have to, yes, you kind of have to, you have to stop thinking with Bob Scott's voice and interpretation and manipulation and really, does the scripture, what does the scripture really mean? What, what, how did Jesus mean this, not Bob Scott? Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to do that. And you don't trust, I mean, I thank God that I can do online church because I have no, I have no desire to go to Cornerstone. It's too big. I have no desire. And I don't want to go to Nazarene. You know, I don't want to go to a church that's so small mm -hmm. that everybody's going to talk to me. Yeah. I, I don't want that. I don't yeah. want that. Yeah, you're you're in a. I just you... want to go and I want to hear about Jesus and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you're in a very unique position because it really because of your wounds and because of your experience. Um, man, I I tell you what, I, when you start to unravel it all and you realize how complex it is and how deep it goes, like what you said, like just hearing certain scriptures without hearing his voice in them, mm. um, things like that. Like, it's just amazing to me how uh, the impact, you know, when the Bible says, you know, when the word tells us that, you know, that the shepherds are going to give an account for every word that they teach, you know, that's a pretty harsh warning. And it's very, it's a very stern warning for for those and he even Paul even said that those should not be desirous to be teachers you know um it because of the accountability that you're going to give um in it what let me let me turn back to Calvary Temple real quick what do you think because he's getting older this guy star yeah what do you think's the next phase for them do they have somebody that's a successor cuz obviously his son is out you know he didn't stick around 
what's the plan, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we, we try to figure out what he's going to do. You know, we, we talk about it. Um, he's, he's got pastors there um, yeah. and, and captains and deacons that um, could very easily step up to the plate. I think two of the pastors that he would have had in mind to take to fill the role left, Richard Miller and Chuck LaRock, they left. Mm-hmm. So, but he has other people. He has Ron Zaru. He's got Wally Zaru, who's a who's a deacon and he's the evangelist guy. He's also got Greer and Kimberly. You know, I I've got a very good friend who seems to think that he's when she she's the one who does the listening. She seems to feel that um, he's grooming the congregation to accept either Greer or Kimberly. I don't agree with that, hmm. but um, it could be any. It, it could be one of any men. They, you know, at one point, and we haven't talked about this at all. But at one point, Calvary Temple was very much growing. They had yeah. um, they had satellite churches. This was even after the split. You know, when they had over a thousand people going to that place, they had the split kicked everybody out and got it and it was around 400, 450 or whatever. They were the faithful, you know? So, um, when, when they did all of that, they were growing. They had a church in Maine, two churches, a satellite church in Maine, a satellite church in New York state, um, satellite church in Baltimore, satellite church in St. Kitts, satellite church in Richmond, so Calvary, they were sending people out. They were trying to establish one in Winchester, and then they went over. They set their sights on Africa. And at one point, my you know my son did every senior. The seniors have to go to Africa on a mission trip. My oldest son, Stuart, for his senior trip, went to Africa. They had at one point they had I think over 100 churches between Kenya, Zimbabwe, and it's it's all gone. The yeah. only they only have a few churches left in Africa. As far as I know, they're, they're down to just a few. And then the main church is gone. Richmond is gone. The New York churches are gone, except there's one guy up there who still follows. And then um, there's a church in Crofton, Maryland, and it's Calvary Temple of Crofton or something like that. And that's run by Jim LaRock. That's yeah. it. Wow. So he was on his way to, you know, whatever. And yeah, but he, you know, that's been our prayer. Right. That's I, right. I don't, I don't want him to prosper. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I want it to end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been an hour and a half and mm-hmm. it's a, it's a really incredible story. Mm-hmm. Your, your testimony is I mean, and I say that because I know here's the thing is that, and I told you this on the phone when we spoke a few weeks ago, uh, one of my first encounters as a pastor, I remember someone from Calvary Temple walked up to me after a men's event that we had and he was just weeping and he was just asking for help. And honestly, I was not equipped. I was a young pastor at that time and I was a youth pastor nonetheless, you know, so I was not equipped, but I, I tried to help him. I tried to get him into the right people. Um, and I always wondered why we wouldn't, you know, call him out, call out Star Scott as pastors. Like why we wouldn't go to him 
and say, hey, you're this is not good. This is unhealthy. This is this. But um, and I never really got an answer as to why, you know, people haven't like other churches haven't gathered around to call him out. I mean, there's people protesting. And in some ways, I think they think I think a lot of church leaders around the area think, oh, well, it'll take care of itself. The people will rise up and eventually God will take care of it, you know, um, or maybe they think it's not their problem. I don't know what what it is exactly, but prayer, you're right. Prayer is the thing. Prayer is the thing that's going to help the most. And that's what's going to that's what's going to bring bring it down. That's going to topple it. I do want to say, though, if if a listener is if one of our listeners are hearing this and these are the signs like I want I can't stress this enough. Like, you know, if there's, if there's no accountability to the leadership, if the assistant pastors or the deacons or the leadership below are more yes men and, uh, not able to in any way, you know, uh, come against the, the senior, the leader, um, if they're twisting the scriptures in such a way, if you feel like you're being watched, if you're put on a list, if you're marked, if you don't stay in line perfectly, um, if finances are always under the microscope and being talked about uh and and then lastly if there's sexual morality or Mm. sensuality in particular that you know and you notice and it makes you uncomfortable um those are those are flags those are signs of a really unhealthy church and i just want to encourage our listeners to take those signs seriously and find someone who is outside of that group and get an opinion someone that's a mature believer another pastor at another church. Um, I know that'll be hard because you've probably been told that other churches aren't serious enough or aren't Christian enough or uh, don't love the Lord as much and they're not going to give you good counsel. But you have to take a step and get some advice outside of your own experience because your own experience is keeping you in a place that's unhealthy. So, but uh, I'm sorry, that was like a little pastoral diatribe. No, it's... No, listen, it's important. Um, you know, I do have a blog. It's my Calvary Temple Tactics blog commentary. And I have on that blog, there's um, a, a links page hmm. that shows all of the newspaper, all of the newspaper, everything that has to do with Calvary Temple is there. And then um, I have a docs page, which is where the email is. But I also, I, it's so funny, but I wrote a paper in college right after I left Calvary. It was very cathartic, much like my Warper Watch story, very cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Wolves Among Us. And mm. in that paper, there's a, Rick Ross is a uh, leading authority on cults, and um, not the rapper Rick Ross, but <laughs> the other guy. Um, and it is, he, there, in that paper, there's a list of what to watch for, and if, you're, if this is happening, you're in a cult, get out. So I am very happy that you say that because it's very important. You know, that's, you know, that's one of the things that's always been so important on my heart because Calvary Temple is not alone. There's a lot of places out there very much like it. There are a lot of box scots out there. And again, you go in there very trusting, very wanting to know the Lord. And the next thing you know, you're in a stinking cult, you know, and, and much worse cults than what I was in, you know, there, I, I can, cults that I follow, you know, because I, I know where they're at. There's one in North Carolina that's horrendous. 
right? You've got Jonestown, you've got Waco, you've got um, Scientology, for heaven's sake. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's all that same, you know, I look at Scientology and I'm like, how do people do that? But Mm -hmm. billionaires do that. They get millions of dollars. It's like Calvary Temple small potatoes can, you know, when you compare it to Scientology. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is highly important, you know, because most people want to do the right thing, you know, but, and I've also wanted to say something, you said something earlier about, uh, and if you're winding down, I can stop, but you had said something about people leaving. People will leave and totally walk away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what I, what we have found in our experience with Calvary Temple is that it's mostly, it's not necessarily the people in my age group. It, it, it's, the kids, the, mm. the young adults that will say, I, I'm done. Like, yeah. I, you know, they'll become agnostic. They'll become atheist. Um, my, my youngest son considers himself an atheist. That tends to be what happens. Mm-hmm. So, and then there are some adults that will, they're just done. But, and, and I didn't make the wisest choices over the last 10 years. You know, because when you're hurting really, really bad, sometimes you don't make good decisions. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Most of the time you don't. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, yeah. that can be even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you come out of a call and your family's destroyed. You know, when, you, when you're hurting that bad, you make not so good decisions. Yeah. So it's not everybody, but I, I can say I'm, very human in that regard. Yeah. So. Same here. <laughs> I was going to say I made really bad I made really bad decisions and I've You didn't even come out of a cult. I never came out of a cult. <laughs> but you know, uh yeah, well <laughs> at least she, at least she has a, a reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I really appreciate right, it. Right, right. <laughs> I can pull that self-righteous card. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you sharing yes. your story, Michelle. We know that, um, like I said, whenever you jog down memory lane, sometimes the memories, they they smack you hard. And I'm sure that, uh, that you know, some of this stuff is hard to, to recount. But I know that God is faithful, and you know that God's faithful. And he's always, he's always loving. He's always gracious. And even when we do the stupid things trying to self-medicate, uh, his grace covers even those things. And even when we say he doesn't exist, a lot of times I've found a lot of people that claim to be atheist or agnostic because of church hurt or because of ish, you know situations like yours, and is a lot of times they're just protecting themselves so they don't have to um, they don't have to separate the humanity and the human side of uh, and the gods you know keeping them separate the god side and the human side and they've been so blended together um, that they say that to protect themselves. Like, well, if that right. comes with it, I don't want anything to do with it. And But in, in their heart, they do know God's real. Um, and, you know, I love what we're told in Scripture. It says God finishes the work that he begins. That's right. So we can trust the Scriptures, and we can trust that God will always finish what he starts. And so a lot of these lives that are just broken, and uh, they're just trying to protect themselves, he's just being gentle, and he's just moving ever so unnoticeably in their lives a lot of times in the background and um and then he'll finish what he starts so and i i agree with that a thousand percent and i can speak to that from experience because i know for a fact that's what happened in my life even after leaving calvary temple you know um 
I, and that's been one of the biggest joys for me is knowing that he, nothing can ever pluck me out of his hand, that Mm -hmm. he was with me, guiding me to where I am right today. And my relationship with him has never been as wonderful as it is right now. And it's because of what he has done for me in that gentleness, in that love. He is not a Bob Scott. He is not a harsh taskmaster. He's not a thus saith the Lord. And, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, God has his moments. I get that, but he is kind and he's gentle and Mm -hmm. he's meek and he's loving and he wants nothing but to love me and, and my son and my other son and my ex-husband, you know, that's all he wants is for us to be in relationship with him. And I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah. Well, we're going to put all of your blog uh, links on the show notes. And uh, so any listeners that are want to go check that out we encourage you encourage them to do that and also i would encourage our listeners too if you stuck in with us this far just say a prayer pray for michelle her family but pray for calvary temple that god would just have his will and that that righteousness would come forth and that uh people would be protected mm-hmm. and set free so um you know there's just too yeah. there's just too much bad to to not pray about it yeah, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Man, well, and I, I don't, can I, I mean, people can reach out if they want it. Sure. You know, I, all I've ever wanted to do is, is help people if they're walking through this or just, again, keep them from going into a place like Calvary. You know, yeah. I, I, that's all I've ever wanted. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 We'll, we'll make that available. And, and if you find yourself in a place like that, feel free to reach out to Michelle and, glean from her experience and uh and allow the lord to use her in your life so well michelle yeah. thank you so much yeah thank you so much for being with us and uh we'll keep in touch you know yeah. um any updates and if something crazy happens in the news uh with calvary temple you know i'll be calling you first <laughs> <laughs> well i appreciate you all talking to me tonight and um i i just God bless you both, all three of you. Um, Rachel, <laughs> hi, Rachel. <laughs> I appreciate you a lot. <laughs> Thank you all tonight. It's really blessed my heart to, you know, I, I appreciate you doing this. And I, I want to see what the Lord's going to do with it. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, Michelle. We'll, we will talk to you soon, okay? All right. All Thank right. you. God bless yeah, you. you again.